Hey guys, I'm Annie Allen, a certified divorce coach and RCSD divorce realtor, and your host for the Starting Over Stronger podcast, the show that's all about bringing you the practical professional help you need as you divorce and the hope that you can then create a life you'll love. I don't skim the surface around here. If you want to dive deep into the wholehearted wisdom of how to have a better divorce experience than everyone else you know by changing what you do, then this is the podcast for you. After a lifetime in dysfunctional relationships with those closest to me and over a decade in recovery, I'm ready to share everything I've learned and everything I'm still learning because I believe the keys to having a better divorce experience and better relationships to come should never be a secret. Here, you'll find episodes that offer enlightening and unconventional wisdom that is both actionable and sometimes even fun, like friends chatting over coffee. So come be a fly on the wall for these amazing conversations that will give you a fresh, honest look at how you can divorce well and then live well. If you're ready to do divorce differently, Starting Over Stronger is all about you deciding, surviving, and then thriving through and after your divorce. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Starting Over Stronger show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. Hello and welcome back to the Starting Over Stronger Divorce Survival and Recovery Show. We all know divorce is hard, and the fact is there are ways that we can make it even harder, unwittingly. And today, my guest is family law attorney Kristen Bazelli, and we're going to talk about smart tech use during your divorce, what you can do or not do to make your divorce easier on you and everyone involved by how you utilize social media, email, texts, even home security, personal security, and your phone. So hello and welcome to the show, Kristen. Tell us a little bit about yourself professionally and personally, if you'd like. Okay. Hi, I'm Kristen Bazelli. I've been practicing family law and child custody and divorce for over 10 years now. I'm on my third year of my own practice. It's Bazelli Law and we're in Lee Summit, Missouri, right off of 2nd Street. I'm pretty tech savvy, so I tend to get into the tech side of things a little more than some other attorneys do. And I thought it would be a really great opportunity to share some knowledge. Personally, I've, I'm a big fan of animals. I have three rescue puppies and a rescue cat. It's just me and my assistant, Rhonda, and we run a pretty good show here. And yeah. Very good. Well, thank you again for joining us. I'm excited to talk about this. This is something that pretty much all of my divorce coaching clients deal with on some level. And so it's it's great to kind of put it all together in one spot where I can say, hey, go listen to this episode <laughs> and you'll know a lot more about it. So the thing I wanted to say is that I know by the time this episode's going to air, we're going to be nearing the end of the summer, certainly past the halfway point anyway. And you and I know that summer's 
kind of a surge and another kind of an ending <laughs> uh, divorce. August being sadly one of the months along with January where divorce filings spike. And I have some thoughts about why that is, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So January, we see a spike, I think, both because people are starting to get their tax returns in and a lot of people kind of hold off on getting divorced over the holiday season. The August, July spike tends to be because people are wanting to get court orders in place for the kids before the kids start school. Oh, okay. Not really understanding that that doesn't happen that quickly. Yeah, true. So that tends to be what we see in the the August summer timeframe. Yeah. Well, I just was curious on that because I've heard of that before. I kind of thought it was something to do with that or maybe even also something to do with there being more togetherness during the holidays and those being stressful times and then maybe more togetherness during the summer months, which elevate stress. That was one no, thought I, I had. About that, but that could definitely be part of it. <laughs> kind of like, you know, how 2020 got people together more often than they maybe were used to. And everybody says to me when they find out I'm a divorce coach, oh, I bet you're busy after 2020. And I'm like, well, I was busy before that. But <laughs> I think what 2020 did was kind of reveal to us the really true condition of our relationships. If it was good, it got better. We saw whole families walking to the park and playing out in the yard and doing things that they weren't doing before. So that was great. But yeah, we did see a little bit of a spike, I think, in divorce filing. So as soon as quarantine lifted, it was just like, whoop, spike right through the roof. Yeah, exactly. Well, so today we're going to talk about technology. And for those going through a breakup of any kind, obviously, there's a lot to manage from emotions to expenses to making decisions. And while technology certainly doesn't have all the answers, it can help, but it can also hurt the flow of one's divorce case. So today I'm going to jump in and just talk about what to do and not to do with technology as you go through a divorce. So let's start with the big one, social media. What thoughts do you predominantly have about how to utilize social media well during your divorce? Don't use social media. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's advice. easy. <laughs> yeah, Social media is most attorneys worst nightmare because a lot of people use social media as an avenue to kind of process their emotions. And so your Facebook post about your cheating spouse is now exhibit in your divorce case. It's just a bad place to deal with those emotions. I tell folks, just take a social media break. You can still mm. look on social media, but just don't post until you've processed your emotions because you're going to post something that kicks your butt. Mm -hmm. People don't even think like, oh, I need to sell this item that I have that I don't need anymore because I'm getting divorced. Okay, well, now you've just disposed of a marital asset and you've done it in public on social oh, media. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think of that. I've never really seen a social media post that helps a parent. I guess the closest would be if you're posting pictures of you and your kids out having fun, but that doesn't really need to be on social media. You can just have pictures of you and your family doing family things if that's what you're, you're sh shooting for. The worst social media post, and I use this as an example a lot, I was a guardian ad litem on a case, which is an attorney who represents uh, a child who's a victim of abuse and neglect. Mm -hmm. A big issue from mom's counsel was, hey, go look at dad's Facebook page. So at this point, I had already warned him, I'm looking at your Facebook page, man. And then he posted a video where he was Facebook living while actively driving the car, you could see the the scenery going past him, mm -hmm. smoking marijuana. Oh my gosh. Eight-year-old in the backseat, 
not in his car seat and his four-year-old brother also not in his car seat running around back and forth. Oh my gosh. That broke so many rules. I didn't even know where to start. So, exactly. Um, oh my goodness. visits largely because of that Facebook post. Wow. Well, yeah. more to the wise <laughs> <laughs> or the unwise maybe. <laughs> so that's good. Anything else on social media? I, I think just dope posting is a big one. A lot of folks tend to post about drug use on there as well. Attorneys know the little euphemisms for mm-hmm. marijuana and things like that. It's just a bad place to put any public information out there, regardless of whether or not you're in a custody case. Just just don't do it. True. And messages and posts are admissible, right? They sure are. And and as you said, they don't usually help with some exceptions. (laughs) Yeah. um, Once you've identified that, yes, that's your Facebook page and that's a picture of you. We do also see sometimes where spouses are creating fake profiles to get the other person in trouble. You will get caught for that. It will take a while to catch you for it. But there are ways for attorneys to track down who the original poster was on that. um, Yeah. And bite you in the in the butt as well. Obviously, and and rightfully so. <laughs> okay, let's jump to email. Obviously, anything in writing is going to be admissible. And so we need to be very cautious in what we put out there in, in any written form, right? Yeah, I mean, really, when it comes to any technology, the first thing I say is go change all your passwords. Mm-hmm. You need to change them to something your spouse can't guess. So most people's passwords are their kids' names or their family dog or whatever. You need to pick something way out there. Don't use birthdays, the street you grew up on. Really randomize it. Or anything your spouse knows you tend to use. Exactly. You don't have that one password that you use for everything. (laughs) That's (laughs) super obvious. Email tends to be a a big problem in cases. Um, I don't know why folks think that's not getting admitted to court, but it is. So... Another one that we're seeing more commonly now is hacking of emails. And what does that mean? So that means where you have gone on to your spouse's computer and you've logged into their emails and you're reading everything that they've written. Okay. If it is a shared email where you have given that password, they have the absolute right to get into that. Mm-hmm. Where it runs into really big trouble is where you are viewing messages between your spouse and your spouse's attorney. Oh, yeah. That actually is becoming more and more common. It's a little bit disturbing for us attorneys to know that that is that breaking a law, a privacy law or anything? If the attorney views them and does not tell their client to stop viewing them, the attorney is committing an ethics violation. Okay. If you are genuinely hacking, as in you are going into the email without permission, you did not know the password, you guessed it. Yeah, you can be in some legal trouble for that. So don't do that. Just leave their email alone. Um, <laughs> if it feels wrong, it probably is. It probably is. Exactly. <laughs> um, and if you're using email, I think it's a lot easier to move on to an application that allows for parent or co-parent communication. Uh, some common ones are our family wizard. That one's my favorite, hands down. Me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> $99 for the year and you can exchange 
receipts on there. There's a calendar, all of your communications on there. And when it comes time to go to court, attorneys basically can click a button and get the whole communication log all at once. So it's, that's awesome. It saves us a lot of time and you a lot of time and money generally. And emotional distress. Yeah. <laughs> There's also an option where you can grant professional access. So I, as your attorney or guardian ad litem on the case, can read all the messages back and forth and help you out with them. Mm hmm. But other ones, App Close is pretty popular. I think there's a free version of that. Talking Parents, also free. Um, two Houses used to be free, but I think you have to pay for it now once you get out of the trial period. Um, App Close and Talking Parents are a little more basic. It's literally just a communication log back and forth, but it's still easier than email. Talking Parents, I think it's $5 to get the whole communication log. So, Oh, so they do some of the same things as our Family Wizard without the cost? Yes. The important things? Yeah. It depends on what all you want to do. OFW, our family wizard, OFW, as we call it, definitely has the most features for you. Okay. Um, the other three I mentioned are much more basic, uh, but can get the job done if you just want something cheap and easy. Well, that's good to know. Because sometimes I do find myself recommending that a lot for clients because they're just constantly fielding these harassing or just toxic or emotional text messages. And it's sometimes hard not to get sucked into it. And I remind them often, if you're giving back what you're getting, you can't really have a complaint about what you're getting. Exactly. So don't do it. <laughs> and the best way to not do it is to block them. So that's going to be one of my questions for you later. But I guess we can hit on it now is to block or not to block like what's okay and not okay with that. If you have children together, do not block. Okay. Even if you provide this other method of communication? If they agree to the other method of communication and you start communicating on it, then yes, you can block that in theory. I don't like people to do it even if you're on Our Family Wizard because in the event of an emergency, say your kid's in the ER and they're calling you, you're going to want to get that call. True. Um, what I tell folks is when you're getting those annoying, harassing, whatever messages from your ex, put them on Do Not Disturb. Don't let that take up your whole day. That's true. That's a good point. And another uh, client of mine has started having her best friend read them and tell her if there's anything she needs to know. And I'm like, that's freaking awesome because she doesn't give a crap what he's saying. Exactly. That's a really <laughs> so. good way to do it. Um, or just pick one time every day where you're checking, whether it's email, OFW, or text, and just responding to it all at once. You only have to respond if it's something kid-related that requires a response. So right. you're cheating, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Just Yeah. And that's hard at first, but I, I, I had to do it and I got better at it as I went. And I just kind of had this rule that I would say four things. Yes, no, I don't know, or I'll let you know. <laughs> and that's all I ever said to anything he said, if it even warranted a response, a response at all. Response, yeah. And, you know, it took a while, but eventually he quit doing it because he wasn't getting the reaction that he wanted, I guess. That's really what they're doing is they're trying to provoke a reaction out of you. And if you give it to them, you're giving into what they want. So I would always tell folks is as hard as it is not to respond to that, you're going to read it, think to yourself, thank you. That's helpful for me in court. Say <laughs> it me and then just ignore. Okay. Very good. Um, so let's see anything else on email. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. Just, you know, same thing. You got to watch what you're putting in writing. It's coming mm -hmm. into court one way or another. Yeah. Okay, very good. I see that we are going to talk about text next. So 
again, watch what you put in writing. <laughs> Same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, we kind of already talked about text messages between the parties. Really scary example. This was actually my client. He liked to use the C word when talking to his ex-wife. And opposing counsel at trial made him read every single text message where he utilized that word. He had to read it into the record at trial. Wow. Let me tell you, our female judge did not care for that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> Nobody wants to listen to that. <laughs> and and essentially had to rehabilitate him by, I had early on told him like, you need to go get some anger management and find some better ways to deal with this. And so mm-hmm. by the time of trial, fortunately he had stopped, but obviously that's not what you want to be doing. Right. Text messages to your kids also potentially coming into the record. So if you have that kiddo that's texting you and being at dad's house and saying, I really don't want to be here right now. This is terrible. Your response to that is coming to court. And so you have to at least try some sort of positive response, even if what you really want to say is, oh my gosh, I'll come get you. That's terrible. <laughs> you know, your response essentially has to be like, hey, hang in there, bud. You know, your dad wants to spend time with you. Unless it's, you know, sending something where you feel like you have to call the police, you want to have right. a response back. Right. Something that kind of empowers them to how they can handle it or something like that, I think is good. And we've talked a lot about the negative text coming in. The positive ones are going to come in too. So yeah. um, another great example, um, I had a mom, dad had filed against her requesting sole custody. And in the week preceding his court filing, he had sent her all these text messages about what a great mom she was. And she's the best parent. She's so great at dealing with the kids. And then he came in and a week later tried to claim she was abusive. Kind of bit him quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The truth is the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's see. I was thinking of something else with texts. Oh, if your kids are older, I have seen it be effective where you group text just to kind of keep the other parent accountable to knowing what it is you're saying and what they're saying to you. So there's not this, he said, she said thing, you know, on specific situations, I guess, just executing different activities or whatever. It's just, I think it just helps with communication. It's more open. Have you had that? Yeah, I think it really depends a lot on the child, the child's age, maturity level, and what kind of things you're talking about. Right. It's a, hey, we agreed your dad's picking you up from soccer at four. That's probably okay to have Mm -hmm. everybody on the same page of what's happening there. Right. If it's, hey, your dad's supposed to give you the child support check for me. Oh, no. Yeah. Not okay. No, 100% with you on that. (laughs) Yeah. So... I think that is actually very helpful in situations where you have the kid playing mom and dad against each other. Mm -hmm. Not sure how often you run into that, but I can tell you, I, as a child of divorce, did that to my parents. (laughs) (laughs) It happens. Had they been on the same page, I probably wouldn't have been able to get away with it. That would help with that. You're right. (laughs) Okay. So technology uh, has come a long way with regard to home security. What are some ways that comes into play with divorce? So I think it helps a lot with personal safety where you have domestic violence or stalking situations. Anybody in that situation, the first thing I tell them is go get a ring doorbell. Mm -hmm. Because if somebody's driving by the house or coming up to the house or trying to break in, 
you have that extra protection for you. They're not super hard to install. They're relatively inexpensive. A lot of those DIY home security companies are out there now. It's more than just Ring. I think Nest has one, a couple other companies as well. Mm -hmm. Ring's just kind of my go-to on that. It's very handy, uh, especially in contested custody, because if some sort of shenanigans are going on and your ex is going up to your house, you're going to get a little warning. And just the fact that it's there, I think, deters problems as well. Yeah. Maybe even exchanges at the door would be better if we knew that was on camera. (laughs) Yes, that helps. A really good example. I had a client with an order of protection that said that he was not allowed to come up to the house and he was trying to pick up the kids and had gone to the house instead of the school. I don't know how that mistake supposedly, if that was a real mistake, that was his story. (laughs) Um, but he went and knocked on the door and there he was in her ring camera and he ended up getting charged with the criminal violation of the order. Wow. Today's show is sponsored by Dr. Ann Morgan, CEO, lead physician and founder of Thrive Once More. Dr. Morgan is a board certified emergency medicine physician who over the past five years has been researching and continuing her education in developing this private practice that emphasizes wellness and patient health optimization. Are you interested in becoming a healthier version of yourself? Life is too short to spend every day feeling exhausted, overstimulated, overwhelmed, and just not like yourself. At Thrive Once More, Dr. Ann Morgan will use a comprehensive approach in evaluating your current state of health and developing an individualized strategy to achieve balance and health through nutrition and optimizing your hormones. Explore what the healthier you could look like with Dr. Ann Morgan. The name of her practice, Thrive Once More, really sums up Dr. Morgan's goals for her patients. Visit thriveoncemore.com where you can register, learn more, and schedule your first consultation. Please tell her that you heard about her on Starting Over Stronger. Okay. Yeah, and another tip I'll add there on Ring or any video doorbell system is if you already had one and you're staying in the same home that your soon-to-be ex used to live in, you need to get rid of that one and you need to get a new one that is only in your name with an email address that's new that only you can access and make sure that the other party is not viewing what's happening on your doorbell. I think you can just change out the the contact stuff on it and the permissions. I could be wrong. About I that. have had trouble with that personally. So that's okay. why I just recommended get a new one there. hundred bucks. Very much yeah. worth it. <laughs> in my <laughs> opinion. But I, um, I don't know why they make it as difficult as they do. I think it has to do with the other party still being maybe logged into the account. And so they're saying, you know, the owner is still logged in and you're like, no, I'm the owner. And they're like, well, there's somebody else still logged in. So it's it can be sticky. I would say definitely watch out for that. I, I have had where both people are looking at the camera and my client was able to see the other party removing assets from the home from the ring camera. Oh, wow. Um, you also have to watch out for the hidden cameras, right? That's the one that's very clearly on the door. 
But if you're moving into a house that your spouse was previously occupying, are there other cameras you don't know about or recording devices? I hate to say mm-hmm. that happen, but they do. Yeah. I've even heard as high tech as a phone being, um, I forget what they called it, but a, a second version of a phone being mirrored. So I don't even know how that's possible, but a person can get a phone and they can make it like a mirror image of your phone. So they're yeah. seeing everything you're doing. So yeah. and it's if you're to do. Is you it really? Wow. Watch the text messages that the other person is sending back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if your soon to be ex has that issue or is really tech savvy, it's something to be aware of for sure. You're actually better with like a low tech flip phone because yeah. they get as much on it as they can with a smartphone. Yeah. Or a new phone that they've never had access to. Yes. New phones also a good idea. I Anytime we have people on the same plan and there's security issues, I always tell you, go get your own plan, go get your own phone. Even if mm-hmm. you want that old phone back, it's not worth it. Yeah. And sometimes that's hard because, you know, it has to do then with account ownership and who's an authorized user and can you even make decisions about your own phone? And is your soon to be ex going to somehow sabotage your ability to access that phone number and to be able to get whatever pin you're needing to be able to transfer to a new account? Those are all issues that I see quite often. So yeah. usually you're going to have to get if you're on the same account, they're not going to split it and you're going to have to get a new phone number and a new phone and a new account. It's really advisable to, to handle all of this stuff before you even file if you can, because sometimes the dynamics shift so much after that things become impossible. Especially if there's a safety risk issue. I think I was getting into that one later where it's, if they can track you on your phone yeah. super yeah. easy. Your phone, your uh, fitness watch, Garmin watch, they can track mm-hmm. you all of that. I've actually had cases where I've been sitting with a potential client and she's gotten a text message from her soon to be ex saying, I know you're meeting with a lawyer right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so changing all of that kind of before you even meet with somebody is, is a really good idea. Yeah. Okay. So personal security kind of follows along with this same thing. What, what yeah. you're talking about, <laughs> the watch thing and just thinking about all of the different devices that you know, technology for what it's worth, you know, it's very invasive in our lives, Alexa and all these other things that we well knowingly welcome into our homes to listen to us talk. How, how does that all come into play with divorce? Alexa listens in on you and your kids. Um, I had a case. It wasn't Alexa. It was one of those Google, Hey Google devices. Nest. Um, yeah. Where Isn't it Nest or? I'm not sure. I don't remember. I don't remember either, but go ahead. (laughs) And the kid had been searching inappropriate things in the middle of the night. And one of the parents found out that that was happening at the other parent's home because he had the Google device in his house and she had the account access. Oh, okay. Yeah. All of those devices, really iffy. I had another case where dad got out of jail for violating the order of protection and then stood down the street and used OnStar to make her car honk all night long. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just to be mean. <laughs> and there was no way to prove it. The police tried to get records from OnStar who did not cooperate, of course, but we, we knew, I mean, there were only two people with access to that. So a, a lot of this stuff, I mean, your cell phones, your fitness watches, your iPads, all of them have GPS in them. If you guys are on the same um, iTunes account or Google account, that's all accessible. You have to change all of that when you change mm-hmm. passwords. Yep. 
Very good. Now, that's the bad side. There's good yeah. side, right? Like, okay. Tech can help too. So. Right. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that. I don't want to leave that out. That's good. <laughs> and here's one way with your phone recording options. I know from another interview I did with a different attorney that you can actually do a screen recording of a text conversation and that, in her opinion, judges prefer that to your screenshots because your screenshot can be deliberately chosen, right? Yes. Whereas the screen recording shows the entire log of this conversation from before the conversation started slowly all the way down through where it ended so that the judge can read the whole conversation and determine for him or herself what the true context was of that conversation. Yes, that is a great one. Um, there's also automatic call recording. There's apps that will do it for you. All the calls that you're having will be automatically recorded and then you can choose which recordings you want. One caveat to that is both parties have to be in the same state. If you're not, it's federal wiretapping and you commit a federal crime. So where you both live and work in Missouri, it's pretty safe to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Other positives, especially for gals who are in situations with potential stalkers, order of protection, safety situations, I cannot recommend enough ripple safety. For those of you who can see, it just looks like a tiny little lock. I am in no way paid to promote this product. (laughs) But you just like it that much. (laughs) I just like it this much. I started using it after I had a couple personal threats to me. Um, Basically, I just... Some people put them on a necklace or a bracelet. I just hooked it to the end of my fitness device. One press and they will like immediately call you. (laughs) And I think it's two presses and they'll send emergency services to your location. And it's a very, very inexpensive little device. You pay for like a year membership on it and it ends up being like $90 for the year. Okay. Good to know. And what was it called again? Ripple. Ripple. Okay. Ripple safety is what they call it. Okay. Another one I haven't tried yet, but I have on order is a flare bracelet. It's actually Mm -hmm. like a little metal bracelet where you push two buttons to call for help. Most of your smartwatches these days have a emergency button. I think it's meant more for if you fall and can't get up, (laughs) but would also in that situation. Why I tend to lean towards something like this more than a watch is your ex probably knows that you're your watch or your Fitbit device can get you help. This is small and tiny and nobody knows what it is. Well, now people know because I told you all about it, but. Right, but, but it's not well known. Yeah. Very good. So anything else on recording? You mentioned an example about mom recording calls. Yeah. So I had a case where um, mom recorded calls between dad and the kids mm-hmm. and actually told her not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, look what I found when I did, Kristen. And um, it was very, very inappropriate conversation with the kids, very degrading to mom, to the point where he actually said, was crying and said, I'm not your daddy anymore. You have a new daddy now. Oh my gosh. Preteens. So we were able to play those in court. And I just watched the judge's face, like the red just went up from her neck into her into her scalp. She was so mad and it actually got her sole custody of those kids. So I say use with caution. Judges tend not to like recording, but if you think what's going on is bad enough, they'll probably listen to it. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. What about monitoring your teens? Oh, I cannot stress this enough, folks. 
please, please watch what your teens are doing on their phones. There are a couple applications out there that allow you to keep an eye even on what they're saying on Snapchat. Uh, two of them that I like are MSpy and Bart. You got to really, as a parent, especially with teenagers, keep on the up about what the latest apps are. The teens tend to look at Snapchat like we used to look at AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> like, that was the thing when I was a kid, that everybody used the AOL Instant Messenger, right? Snapchat was developed so that you could send inappropriate pictures to people and those pictures would then disappear off their phone. Mm -hmm. So you got to think about the original fan base for Snapchat and what they were really interested in doing. Yeah. Um, a lot of folks out there on Snapchat trying to uh, obtain child pornography or just generally inappropriate kidnappers, whatever. I, I cannot encourage you enough to keep an eye on that. Uh, TikTok, Whisper, Kick are all ones that tend to be another one you got to keep an eye on. TikTok's mostly silly videos now, but I think originally when it started out, it was a little bit of a breeding ground for problems. A new one that's popped up in the summit, um, Omegle, it's not actually an app, it's a website that a bunch of Lee Summit kids were doing. And there was absolutely no screening on it. Like when you logged in, there was actually a warning that says, we're not checking the ages or verifying identity of anybody on here. And all of these kids were ignoring the disclaimer and going on there and chatting with people. Okay. Very scary stuff. Um, an article came out recently about OnlyFans. Do you know what okay. OnlyFans is? Nope. <laughs> I'm not tech savvy. <laughs> That's why I'm interviewing you. <laughs> OnlyFans is an application where you can subscribe to channels. Primarily, uh, this is folks putting out sexual pictures of sexual content. And OnlyFans is supposed to have protections in place so that minors cannot utilize it. But um, they have recently found lots of minors utilizing it and making money off of inappropriate pictures. Wow. I have a 15-year-old stepsister, which is why I'm on the open up on a lot of these things. And I just told her, look, like you got to think about somebody asks you for that picture. Yeah, they're committing a crime. But when you send it, so are you. As a 15-year-old, you've now engaged in child pornography and you can be charged. You really got to be straight up with your kids on this. You got to be checking their phones. This comes into play a lot in custody cases too. Some parents who are saying things they shouldn't be are saying them on Snapchat. So they mm -hmm. go away. Or kids who are struggling and going through these issues often reach out to people they shouldn't to get mm -hmm. help and support. Uh, and that can cause you a world of hurt as well. Yeah, for sure. I jokingly say that Snapchat is obviously not for adults because by the time I go to respond to what you told, what you said to me, your message is gone. And I don't even remember what you said. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> My life is too busy for that kind of crap. I need to see what was happening so I can exactly. think about what I, what I need to say. <laughs> I kind of look at it as if what you're saying is appropriate, why do you need it to disappear? Yeah. Why do you think Snapchat? I just That's right. But yeah. the kids love it. It's very, very popular with them. So you just got to kind of monitor your teenagers. Watch out for what they're doing. Keep in touch with other parents. When Omegle came out, that was a, a huge network of Lee Summit parents started kind of spreading this back and forth. And it should be noted, this was not teenagers doing this. This was the fourth and fifth graders. So oh my God. extra risky. Yeah. Now, what was that one called again? Omegle. O-M-E-G-L-E. -E. It's a website. 
Okay. Interesting. Raising teens is hard period, even if you're not getting a divorce, but this kind of sheds new light on how that can be a factor in a divorce situation for sure. As you mentioned, it already is a volatile situation with a lot of emotions and kids aren't handling it well. Teens aren't handling it well, even if they are making you think they are. They're not. They're struggling and it can come out in ways that could harm themselves or others. So it is something to keep an eye on for sure. And I have just a few additional thoughts that I wanted to talk through, which was on social media, do you see it working better to unfriend or unfollow your soon to be ex and or anybody that, you know, maybe family or friends that might be loyal to your soon to be ex or, you know, those kinds of situations. What do you see work best with that? Well, you're listening to me. You're not posting stupid things anyway. So it doesn't. That's true. (laughs) Generally, I would say take a look at what your privacy protections are. If you're trying to hide your posts, yeah, you can unfollow, you can unfriending is, is the easiest way to protect it. But if you don't have your profile set up, so it's not visible to folks who are not your friends, then Mm -hmm. everyone can see it anyway. A lot of times when I'm hunting for information on social media profiles, I'll go friend one of your friends and now I can see your whole page Mm -hmm. because I'm friends with a friend of yours. Yeah. So that's, that's why I can't stress enough. Just don't post. If it's on the internet, we can find it. We have our ways. Yeah. And even if you're not posting anything that's directly related to your divorce case in an unsavory way, I would have to think that if there's any volatility in the divorce, that it would be to your benefit to unfriend your soon-to-be ex and make sure those protections are in place because who knows what they might see on your post that they would twist and try to use to their advantage. And furthermore, they don't need to know your business and you don't need to know theirs. (laughs) So break that connection. Well, and some of them, again, are trying to poke the bear. You're still friends with him. I keep using him. She knows you're still friends on Facebook. <laughs> so she might be posting a bunch of pictures with her new boyfriend to fish mm-hmm. off and see what happens. Um, or just because she wants to. <laughs> yeah, or just because she wants to, not thinking about how that affects you and the kids and things like that. So yeah. posting locations is another thing that tends to be problematic. You don't even think... Oh, I'm going to check in at this restaurant. The whole world now knows where you are. Um, I've had cases where, you know, mom had parenting time. We had concerns that she had an alcohol problem. Well, she was posting pictures of her friends and tagging her location at the bar she was at when she was supposed to have kid. Yeah. That's pretty strong evidence, right? Yeah, absolutely. It is. Okay. And one that I've seen come up a few times, even recently, is how to handle your kids' contact with their other parent on your parenting time while also protecting your own sanity and boundaries. I'm sure you can think of situations that would fall in in line with that. What is a good way to handle that situation? That's pretty situational. It really depends a lot on your kid. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a kid who's normally sitting there and texting with friends all night, and that's just kind of a normal pattern, if they're texting with their parent, probably okay, because they're on their phone anyway. I generally say, if you're taking phone away as a punishment, you should let the other parent know so that they still have a way to reach that child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally, the rule is telephone contact at reasonable times with reasonable frequency. So if you have a parent who's calling to speak to the child on your time four or five times a day, that's not really reasonable. Yeah. Um, daily check-ins, totally okay. Yeah. Uh, 
also kind of depends on what that parent's saying, you know, mm -hmm. back to what I was saying before, are they being supportive of your time? Mm -hmm. Or they, I actually had one where mom had told the kiddo to tell dad that he was a blankety blank. And obviously that's, that's not helping. That's a situation where pull, pulling that phone away is a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Kind of just depends on, on your household and what's normal though. If they're normally texting and they do that on the other spouse's time when you don't have them, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Generally. Exactly. Yeah. Now the situation I'm thinking of, it was a, a woman who the children were, I would say probably just under 10, maybe. And they really liked to video chat when they spoke with their father, when they were at home with her. And it was becoming a real trigger for her because he would have his girlfriend, you know, on the phone, and they'd all be just chatting it up. And and she's hearing this all the time, you know, I don't know how long or anything, but different people were making different recommendations to her. And mine was simply, I do think, like you said, that it should be reasonable frequency and reasonable amounts of time. I think she referred to them being on the phone for an hour at a time or something. And I was just like, that seems a little unreasonable to me. But furthermore, that child can take that call in their room or somewhere that you don't have to hear it. <laughs> so I think that's another good boundary for situations like that. I can't imagine a 10 year old actually staying on the phone for an hour. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't quite 10. It might have been six or seven. I don't know. The younger they are, the harder it is to keep them engaged in a phone call generally. So yeah, I always recommend unless you have to supervise the call because you think inappropriate things are happening, generally put the child in the child's room, door closed. Hey, come out when you're done talking to that parent. Uh, it's not unusual for parents to use those video calls to kind of check out what's going on at the other parent's house. Exactly. That was the other thing she mentioned. I think he's kind of spying on me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So wandering around, usually not a good idea, but you want to give that, if the other parent's appropriate, you want to give them privacy with kiddo. So mm -hmm. kiddo feel like, oh my God, mom's listening to everything I say. So in their room, door shut. I wouldn't think it would be an hour, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I'm making things up here, Kristen. I don't remember the details. <laughs> I just remember it was uncomfortable and it was triggering to her. And I'm yeah. like, well, it's your house and it is your time with this child. So I think probably it's a boundary issue that just needs to be discussed. Maybe they'd be willing to work with you on it, or at least you could work with your children on what it is that you you know, want to set in place. So I, I guess, what final thoughts do you have on smart technology use during your divorce? Um, again, just use with caution. Remember, everything you put in writing is coming in potentially to court. Don't respond with anger. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a really good book out there called Biff mm -hmm. by Bill Eddy that's all about how to co-parent with difficult people. Use, use your technology wisely. Keep an eye on your kids with tech. Mm -hmm. Be smart with your smart technology. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for being here, Kristen. It's been a pleasure. And I want to let everyone know that you are a practicing family law attorney in Lee Summit, Missouri, and that they can connect with you at bazellilaw.com, which is B-U-Z-Z-E-L-L-I 
www.annieatstartingoverstronger.com. And I always welcome anyone to email me at Annie at startingoverstronger.com, where I would be glad to make a personal introduction to you for them. And uh, if they do reach out directly to you to let you know that they heard about you on the Starting Over Stronger show. So thanks so much for being here and sharing your experience and wisdom with us today. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. And remember, until we meet again, you do not have to go through your divorce alone. You have conversations like this every Wednesday here on the Starting Over Stronger show. And if you need more help, check out startingoverstronger.com for more about coaching support so you can do divorce differently and lessen the time, stress, and money involved in your divorce. I'm here when you need me. And remember, there's help as you divorce and hope as you are starting over stronger.